This episode of the Commerce Marketer Podcast is brought to you by Bronto Software, the leading email provider to the global internet retailer 1000. For more ideas on how to improve your marketing automation and to take your email to the next level, visit www.bronto.com resources. Have you ever gone to a store only to find the products to be out of stock and they don't know when they're expecting another? Maybe even worse, they offer to order you one, but it will take you up to two weeks to reach you. Well, what's the next move? Wait two weeks or shop elsewhere? Consumers today expect speed and efficiency and inefficient supply chain management can not only create poor customer service experience, but also increase a retailer's cost. And that right there is a lose-lose. Welcome to the Commerce Marketer Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Zakowitz. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the current state and evolution in supply chain management. While it might not sound like a sexy topic, the supply chain matters to business success. But don't worry, the Commerce Marketer is bringing supply chain sexy back and will keep you entertained. Join me in today's conversation and welcome to the show, the VP of Cloud Inventory Solutions of DSI, Bob Carver. Welcome to the show, Bob. Thanks for Thanks being for here. Him. Pleasure to be here. We are, you probably pick up some ambient noise, but we are in the We're recording. Mobile. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we are recording live from uh, Sweet Connect West in San Francisco. So, Bob, before we kind of get into it, why don't yeah. you give the audience a little background about who DSI is sure. and uh, what your role there is? Sure. So, uh, DSI is a uh, supply chain provider. Uh, we've been around for 40 years, a privately held company based out of Kansas City, Missouri. Our mission is really to provide the tools and capabilities so our customers make them successful in all things uh, inventory as it relates to the digital economy. So, we're focused on bringing forward to our customers uh, cloud inventory solutions as well as mobile-first supply chain apps um, that they can run either independent or against their uh, their existing ERP platforms. And we're a big partner of NetSuite's going forward. We actually were a uh, partner of the year for NetSuite back in 2017. We're divided into uh, to three distinct business units, and that's what really makes us, I think, unique from a company standpoint is that DSI provides not only native mobile applications embedded like within the NetSuite platform itself or ERP agnostic applications for supply chain apps on the field, but we also have our own standalone inventory system of record cloud inventory uh, and the capabilities of that product to, to bring applications and uh, configurable business workflows and business rules capabilities out to the supply chain in a standalone environment or integrated to a back-end ERP uh, is the business segment that I'm focused on and that I run on a daily basis. What's your ideal customer look like? Is it revenue yeah. per, per year? Is it brick and mortar, omni-channel solutions? Yeah. Is it just yeah. size of the company? What's a, a typical ideal customer? For you yeah, I think like? when I look at our typical customer, I, I really consider our customers to be almost more horizontally focused than vertically focused. So we're not too worried about size. We deal with small to medium business sizes as well as multi-billion dollar you know, Fortune 1000 corporations on a daily basis. Uh, we've got a little over 1,700 customers worldwide. But the common thread for all of our customers is they struggle in some way, shape, or form with, with automating their supply chain, whether it be through applications, whether it be tracking their inventory on a real-time basis. There's a common thread there of, 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 of not having that capability to see their inventory. And we're going to talk about it today in this end-to-end uh, supply chain and having the visibility where their inventory is at any point in time within their supply chain. So we've got a, an excellent uh, case track record in, in track and trace and uh, serialization type efforts in pharmaceutical, food and beverage. Uh, we work with large manufacturers, uh, healthcare companies, uh, food and bev, automotive, just strictly distribution type capabilities, and, and again, on a global basis. So there really isn't that typical customer for us. Uh, we can solve a problem for almost any customer out there in the industry. Awesome. Where are you guys based out of? We're based out of Kansas City, Missouri. I'm okay. actually based out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, but the, the company's based out of Kansas City, Missouri, and we've got offices uh, throughout the United States, as well as uh, in the EMEA and APAC Institute. You're a Brewers fan? I am a Brewers fan. Uh, I'm a bum Brewers fan. I was so close. <laughs> I Short story, I worked on the Brewers grounds crew in 1982 when I was in college, uh, sort of the World Series last time they went. So 
it was uh, it would have been neat to see him go back again uh, yeah. but uh, but it didn't happen i was kind of rooted for i'm a red sox fan i was kind of rooted for the brewers they always have a soft place in my heart and i'm in kansas city and so i was glad kansas okay. city won a few okay. years back and the royals we got a lot of ex-royals players there so they, they, the guys in the office like to bug <laughs> me the milwaukee's the kansas city north <laughs> Very cool. So I alluded to it earlier, and you had kind of mentioned a couple minutes ago, we talk about companies having complete visibility into their supply chain products. I I threw the hypothetical out there, which has probably happened to all of us, right? We shop for something. Oh, yeah, we got 20 in stock, and then we go there. Maybe we even buy it, and they're like, oh, we don't actually have it here. Um, Consumer shopping habits are changing, right? We're complete omni-channel. The phone's involved somewhere. The laptop's probably involved somewhere. Brick and mortar's probably involved somewhere. How has this changed the fundamentals of supply chain? your yeah, standpoint yeah i i think from our end and you know i've been doing i've been in the supply chain industry since about 1985 and uh it, it's turned it on its head i mean it has turned it on its head a lot of people like to call it the amazon like effect and i'll give them credit for driving i think new expectations from a consumer standpoint but that ability for the consumer to see where the inventory is 24 7 on a, a personalized mobile application that they probably didn't pay for on any device, whether they're sitting at their, their Mac at home or their Windows PC at work, or they're sitting on their Android or iOS phone out in the, on the car, the ability to, to use multiple different paths to get at a, corporate's, a corporation's inventory and see where that, pro- that product is real time at any point in time. And like you said, you know what store it might be at has really turned the industry on its head. Um, you've now got the need from a, a corporation standpoint to have that capability to expose the position of that inventory out to the public on a, on a 24-7 basis, and, and frankly, a lot of companies just weren't capable or able to do that. And so things like Omnichannel and whatnot have really driven a, a brand new attitude. You know, it used to be that inventory was centralized. So everybody had, a, you know, a $1.5 million square foot distribution center somewhere in the Midwest. You know, they, at one point in time, I think 80% of all distribution was located within like 300 miles of Indianapolis, Indiana. It's not true anymore. You know, suppliers and products and consumers have all converged on a single point. So if there's a guy sitting in Jakarta, Indonesia, and he wants to buy an Apple iPhone, and there's a local uh, store there. He, he wants to know where that inventory is at that point in time at that particular store and how far away it is and if he can walk it or if he's going to Uber it. And it might be tied in, uh, you know, the, the, the Apple app or the phone store app might be tied into an Uber service, and, and they've got the capability to schedule a car to come pick them up and take them there. It, it really has turned it upside down on its head. It's just a, it's been a big change. I've got to assume a spider web off of, of right. that is global commerce, right? right. Co- right. Consumers can buy anything wherever right. they are and wherever that product is in the world right. now. And there's always been overseas production and manufacturing and shipping and things like that. But the transparency you talked about a second ago yeah. probably creates twice as much complexity yeah. now. Yeah. Has global commerce shifted from a supply chain management side or a logistics side? Has it created an exponential number of headaches for companies? Or is it just, hey, same challenge yeah. just globally now? Or are, is there more to it? Hey, if they're based over in China now, right. we have four other steps as opposed to just saying, hey, there's right. the one other step of being overseas. I think it. I think it has challenged a lot of companies to think differently. And not only has it challenged a lot of companies, it's going to challenge a lot more in the future if they don't start thinking about it. There was a survey that Gartner put together. I, I think it was really last year, and they talked about the emerging seven, the G7, the emerging seven. And and I probably got the year wrong, but it was something that I think Indonesia was going to be a top five economy by the time 2040 rolled around. So. Sit back and think, and you look at it, how many companies in, in the United States right now, let's just take North America, for example, are thinking about the fact that they need to have distribution in Indonesia, because Indonesia is going to be one of the largest economies they're going to want to service. So what's happened to a lot of supply chains is that the point of distribution, and it could even be manufacturing if they're a manufacturer, 
where they manufacture that product, where they're going to store it from a distribution standpoint and ship it out of uh, is moved. The entire supply chain networks are being redesigned based upon the shifting purchasing power uh, and, and the growing global economy. So, so not only do you have the fact that you've got global customers who may want your product and you've got to be able to service them with this reasonable expectation of I'm going to get you something in a couple of days, even though you may be ordering from a foreign country. You now have consumers that want that product to be there in that country with the two hour delivery window. <laughs> you know, you know, one of the one of the biggest growth areas that, that we've seen over in APAC is the, the urban warehouse, the emergence of urban warehousing. And especially in companies like Singapore, where there's no real estate. So you can't go build a brand new distribution center without sinking half of your company's fortunes and profits for the next couple of years into that. So they are renting entire floors of skyscrapers and turning them into distribution points. I had read about That's, that, yeah. which is fascinating to me. Yeah. It never would have it occurred to me to do yeah. that, but it seems to be very commonplace overseas. It is. It is. And, 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 you know, and with the advent then of that urban warehousing, now you, you, you've really upset the entire transportation component of what's going on now, because now you're not necessarily working out, uh, worried about over the ocean container type stuff, but, but you may have a, a sort of Uber Eats sort of a strategy of distribution in a, in a city in, in Hong Kong, you know, in, in China or in Hong Kong or in Singapore or Malaysia, where you've got to think about this point consumption and, and the need, to, need for speed. And, and that's what we're really seeing is this, this shift in attitude from a, customer, a consumer standpoint has really driven this need to be able to deliver inventory on a real-time basis much quicker. Gone are the, we'll ship it to you in five to seven business days. You know, now you've got Amazon Prime, it'll ship it to you within two hours on the same day. And that, that just doesn't extend to here as extending globally. So yeah, it really has changed the dynamics from a global commerce standpoint. So if everything is changing, companies obviously know they, at least I would assume, they probably know they need to change. Right. The question might be, right. well, how do we change? How do we change within our budget? How do we change that works for our organization versus everyone else? But like most industries, as things change, the adoption is usually pretty slow. I, I don't right. know if you guys are seeing a slower adoption right. or just kind of, hey, it's steadily increasing, right. but it's not exponentially blowing up very quickly. Right. What's the reason for that? Is it is it legacy systems that is kind of holding things down or is it the cost associated with it? What do you find the biggest challenge when you're dealing with either prospects or current clients? What do you find the biggest holdup or the biggest obstacle to actually converting to a new uh, supply chain management system? I think there's two specific areas. I, I like to say now we've talked about digital transformation in the supply chain. And, and my personal take is if you haven't transformed, you're behind schedule now. This is not digital transformation anymore. It's happened. We are in a digital supply chain, digital economy. I think there's two things that really are a holdback from that standpoint. One is there's a certain timidness about replacing legacy applications from a cost standpoint. We see that all the time. The, the price point of software and supply chain software keeps being driven down. It's becoming a lot more economical to purchase it, but even still, it's a fundamental shift in both finances as well as attitude to actually pick up a new product and, and run with it. Uh, and so you see a lot of people are still gun-shy and pulling the trigger and, and, and re-overhauling their entire supply chain. I think the other problem that, and it's kind of a hidden, and I, and I don't know that people would voice it expressly if, if you talk to them about it, there is still a certain fear about making the right decision. You know, there's more than enough company examples out there right now who thought, okay, we got an e-commerce site up and running, boom, we're in it. You know, Sears.com, we're, we're okay now. <laughs> Things are going to be great. Wrong. There are a lot of companies that are afraid to pull the trigger because they don't know what's coming. And I'd love to tell them I know that. Don't worry, this is what's happening. But but you, you think of, where, of of things that have gone on within this industry and, and things from autonomous vehicles to to uh, autonomous delivery. You know, they're experimenting over in the UK now with, with uh, vehicles that are delivering groceries that have like quadrants in them. They'll just drive to your house and you get yeah. to your code and it opens it up. There's no driver. It gets loaded at the grocery store and returns back to the grocery store. No one's really sure what's going to happen in five to 10 years. So now do you want to make this multi-million, sometimes multi-billion dollar investment in overhauling your supply chain and not be right? And I don't know if there's a, there, there's a satisfactory answer to a lot of those folks to say, this is what's right, go for it. But 
but I think there are things they could do from a from a from an incremental standpoint to improve things from a visibility standpoint. You know, the, the thing that we see people struggling with every day is where the heck is my inventory? And I think if you can just at least get that down, some of the other investments will pay off if you go forward and push them. But but I, I think I think there's still just your regular old budget concerns and the two just a lack of confidence that they're they're pulling the right chain when they go forward. You had mentioned the autonomous vehicles that have the cubes or the yeah. compartments in them where people get groceries and things like that. Amazon, obviously, they're trying out trunk delivery. Now. Right, I don't right, know if you yeah, saw yeah, that. Yeah, I saw that. Is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had a hard time with letting guys into my apartment. I still don't want to let the guy into my trunk, too. But <laughs> <laughs> There's enough stuff in my trunk you can Here steal, you probably. Yeah. You know, last mile delivery, and you had touched on it before with the distribution, more like an Uber Eats type model in these condensed areas. Yeah. Last mile delivery, everyone's still struggling with it. Amazon's right. struggling with it. Walmart's right. struggling with it. Yeah. Even USPS is picking up last mile delivery right, options, but right. that also comes with a sometimes decrease in speed, right. which people want, right. obviously. Right. Well, two questions. What's the biggest challenge with that model? Do, do you think that Uber Eats type model right. is sustainable for companies? Right. Maybe not globally, but maybe or uh, you know nationwide, but maybe in these concentrated areas. And the other side of it is, do you see last mile delivery being solved anytime in the next three yeah. years from a smoothing out standpoint? Like, do you think it's going to be solved or do you think that's right. always going to be an issue right. for people? You know, I, I, it's it's interesting. I, last mile is an area that we have really concentrated on in the last couple of years and are putting a significant amount of our efforts uh, going forward and trying to tie that all together. You know, one of the fundamental problems with a lot of last mile solutions for a lot of the companies that want to get into that is that they haven't had the technology or tools to actually track product once they left the distribution center. Um, so there's a certain infrastructure uh, to, to last mile that they've got to put in place before they can actually, if especially if they're doing it all themselves. If they're working with a third party, maybe that third party then is giving them some feedback, tracking numbers, and things of that sort. But a lot of companies haven't been equipped, they, and they haven't had the mentality to actually think of things outside. I like to take my cloud inventory solutions product, and even though it was really kind of the, the initial tenant of it was to develop a four-walls solution for tracking inventory management working within the warehouse, if you think about what you're doing within the warehouse, you're doing the same thing outside of the warehouse. It's just that last mile doesn't have four walls. Uh, last mile can go anywhere. And and a lot of companies, they, they lose that track once it's outside the distribution center. And so as a result, they've struggled with last mile because they haven't put in place the technologies or the relationships or whatnot. We're working with billion dollar companies every day where, where they're saying, you know, I don't even know where the product ended up getting delivered if it got delivered correctly because I'm using an LTL carrier or whatnot that doesn't communicate back with me. So I think that's a that's a real struggle. But it does have to be solved because I don't think it's going to go away. I think the sort of uh, interconnectedness of last mile to the original distribution center that it might have been at or, or whether it's a back store or fulfillment out of a retail store, it's going to become part of this homogeneous view of inventory uh, from the end to end from a supply chain standpoint. And, and while there's been a whole lot of work done on the get it to the United States inbound sort of tracking and getting product into the distribution architecture, it's that entire fundamental push outside of the distribution center out to the end consumer is evolving. It's evolving very quickly. I don't think it's going away. I think that's going to be a struggle people are going to have for quite some time. It's a, it's a huge area of investment. And when we look at it from a company standpoint, from a business rule standpoint and workflow standpoint, we're setting our customers up to being able to, 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 to follow that inventory out into the last mile and to really begin to look at, I think another reason companies have a hard time with the investment and, and what they're doing is they always look at this stuff as what's the cost savings? What, you know, what's my ROI for doing something like that? And our attitude when we approach our customers is, I'm going to give you a last mile solution that's going to drive your revenue. 
because you're going to get this in, you're going to start kicking this competitor in the rear end, or you're going to be you're going to hang on to customers. You're you're not going to get that customer that's going to walk away because they had a bad delivery experience. You're going to gain customers, and so you ought to start looking at last mile as being a revenue generation opportunity for your company versus a cost savings yeah. uh, opportunity. And fundamentally, if you can get people to start thinking that way, I think they'll spend a lot more in, in last mile. But it's evolving almost as quickly as everything else in the supply chain. So. Things are going to change. You know, I thought we'd be looking at drones delivering stuff by now, at least from a pilot standpoint. And it's maybe it's just me. It sure seems to have gone quiet in the last six months. But what's the next big thing in last mile? Who knows? Who knows sometimes? And it's but I think it's going to be significant. That's, that's a huge area of investment and savings. So if anyone wants to uh, create the solution for them, then give me some equity in it. There you go. There you go. You know, right. listen to two feet. investors right here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you would touch on something which I think is relatable to really any software application or anything else you mentioned, the mindset going in is like, well, what's the cost savings to me right, versus right. what are you fundamentally potentially losing by not having this done, right? right? And right. that really just takes a mindset change. Yeah, and it's, change. I've got to believe that, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I've got to believe yeah. that people working in supply chain management, like I, I mentioned earlier in the intro, it's not a sexy topic, right? Right. right. I've got to believe right. that you probably come from more of a legacy system. You've, you're probably older in demographic, you know, exactly. 40s, 50s, I would guess, for exactly. the majority of them, yeah. which yeah. often come with that, that traditional mindset of, you know, you, you still might be able to get away with what's the cost savings here, but yeah. things have fundamentally changed. Is that a fair assumption? Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. I, I think you know, people who had legacy supply chains in place and they've worked to a certain point and they, they don't like to come off the dime. They don't really like to take that risk and to move into a, a different way of thinking, a different mindset completely. And so, yeah, there is that kind of, uh, I'm comfortable with the legacy solution. I don't want to be the guy to, to, to upheaval, uh, to, to drive the upheaval on our on our last mile or, or just within our four walls distribution area and be the one that kind of screws up the supply chain going I was going to say, you don't want to be the guy that, that gets that wrong either. Exactly, right? exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I think so. I, I think that's part of it as well, too. Yeah. yeah. There might be companies out there that say, hey, we know we don't have maybe the best system in the world right, right now, but it works for us. Right. right? We're not getting complaints from our customers. Right. They might not need to know that they either should or potentially just reevaluate right. their overall supply chain management right. system. What should companies be thinking of yeah. when it comes to, hey, this is what I should think of when I should think I need to start reevaluating my current system versus yeah. the new system? Yeah, I was thinking about that question for a while. And, and my, my take on that is that if you're not reevaluating your supply chain right now, you're doing something wrong. And I don't care if you just went through an evolution last year because things are changing that fast that you need to really have a, a sustainable supply chain platform that you're utilizing that allows you to change workflows and business rules on the fly. You know, gone are the days where it's like, okay, we're going to configure the, the, this portion of the operation for retail peak and I need to do this. We're not. You have people that are changing fundamentally the way that their supply chain is running on an hourly basis. Different peaks that they you're reacting to things going on within the, within the process, reacting to how orders are being fulfilled and whatnot. So. I think you need to. I need to, you need to constantly be reevaluating what's going on within your supply chain, and I think you have to look at the four technologies that you want to implement and really make really understand the one fundamental thing that we see with a lot of folks that don't want to spend money but they want technologies. I'll use blockchain for an example. Okay, okay? you know, so blockchain. If, if you look at the hype cycles and whatnot, is still probably in the in the the typical supply chain is is decades away from really being embraced totally. You know, it's being dabbled with in the financial end of the world, and and, and there's things like IBM and and and, and whatnot in the food chain, blockchain type stuff. But but the reality is is that many of the technologies that people want to use, or, or many of the kind of data uh, sharing uh, uh, capabilities that they want to gain, you can't do without an app. You have to have application services in order to do this, which means you probably have to have new software if you don't have a platform in place that allows you to actually create those applications yourself. And, and so I think I think there needs to be a constant assessment of 
of where's, where's the customer driving us? You know, where do we want to be? It goes back to uh, uh, the, the old uh, Wayne Gretzky analogy was, you know, why you were so successful. He said, why we skated to where the puck was going to be, not where it was. And, and I think in the supply chain, you, you have to have to be a visionary like that as well. So you got to be, you got to be looking ahead to where your supply chain's got to go. And if you're just trying to solve the solutions, the problems that you need solutions to right now, here and now, come five years from now, you're going to, you're going to be five years behind again. It's not an easy task. Being on the vendor side of it, it is really cool because every customer is different and it changes constantly. And, and we get, get a, a great chance to impart some really, I think, leading thought, knowledge, technologies to our customers and processes, ideas and whatnot. I'd hate to be in their shoes. I would hate to be in their shoes. It's, a, it's, it's tough. If a company goes and looks at it and says, yeah, you know, we, we need to do something and they talk to you or competitor, whoever it is, from the time they sign that contract and like, all right, let's do it. Let's go in. Yeah. How long does it realistically take for, say, an average customer of yours? I know it's all going to yeah. be independent. It's right. all going to be different. Right. But how, what's an average time period people are looking at to actually change it, that it system really, if, you, if you look at DSI, that's part of our uniqueness is the capability for our customers to use all of our products and evolve from a very small implementation of, of some point supply chain solutions all the way up to full-blown kind of warehouse management, last mile logistics solutions. So we really run the gamut. Uh, if you need a quick application, let's say, also maybe you don't do cycle counting right now in your, your distribution center, you're a NetSuite customer. You know, you can get DSI Direct's uh, cycle counting application installed and running within just a matter of weeks. If you're looking at a typical kind of overall system implementation, you know, on the low end, I'd say we probably are, are, are looking at 30 days to, to, to 90 days typically for an implementation. We just had a retail customer a couple of years ago in the NetSuite environment that in less than uh, in less than 120 days decided to close their distribution center and move all their inventory to their back stock rooms and now fulfills all their orders out of their back stock rooms, both the pickup at store as well as the ship to customer. So, you know, that was that kind of brings you up to that three months sort of time frame, four months. You know, large scale implementations of warehouse management technology and whatnot sometimes can be an eight to 10 month type of a business cycle. So it really depends on how much software you're looking at. It depends on how much you're revolutionizing that company's operation and upfront design needs to be done. And then just really how long it takes to get the entire staff up to speed and rolled out. You know, many of our customers, First Sight is the one that's the long tent in the pole, or long pole in the tent, excuse me. But, you know, they may have 10, 12, 13, 14, 15 other sites, and the rollouts can continue for years sometimes after that. So it really depends on exactly what you're looking for. You know, it can be a very short-term kind of point solution and bang, almost right out of the box, get it up and running and it's done. Or it could be a long, a long-time system design type process with a large integrated supply chain application at the back end. That's cool. I was going to ask you for an example because people love examples. It's, yeah. some, it's face of name. You had mentioned one that we might be able to follow up on yeah, here yeah. with you know, in a very short period of time, they were able to do their fulfillment out of the back right, end right, of the store. Right. Can we talk about that for a minute? Yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. So you don't have to mention the, the company yeah, name. No. You can if you want yeah, to. No, that's okay. Uh, that's okay. What type of business were they in, first of all? Is it e-commerce business? So, so they're, they're a pop-up retail store, essentially. Okay. Well, I shouldn't call it a pop-up store. What they do is it's a, it's a regionally focused uh, sports apparel store. So logo apparel, football, college football, and NFL. So if you were to walk into their store in Kansas City, they got a, kind of, a lot of Kansas City Royals equipment, uh, Kansas City Chiefs type stuff. If you go to Chicago, you know, they've got White Sox and Chicago Cubs type stuff. So they, they, it's regionally focused sports apparel on that end. And at the time, they had 60, I think, 61 stores all total. And they have one large distribution center in the Midwest that all that product would get shipped into. And then they would basically break it down into 61 separate shipments that they would then ship out to the stores for fulfillment of pickup orders at the store, as well as replenishment of stock, inventory stock within the store. And they looked at it and, and said, all we're doing is, is basically injecting a middleman into our process because that, that apparel is going to go to the store. And we're bringing into the distribution center basically to accumulate with other like product and then break that down into a separate shipment that goes back to the store. And why not just tell the vendors to do 61 shipments to the store? And it was funny because I was at NRF last year and this guy comes up to our booth and he goes, 
you're the guy that made me go from one truckload to 61 different parcel <laughs> shipments a day for, for this company. And, uh, and he said, it's not bad. He said, it really was for us, you know, they covered our costs and shipping and it was, it was no problem, but, but it allowed them then to direct the, the specific product to the vendor or from the vendor to the particular stores themselves. And then the stores had applications, NetSuite front end applications that we fronted on NetSuite that okay. they could look into the inventory in the store. And so replenish stock at the shelf level, uh, know exactly where it was based upon location uh, uh, labels that were put in the back stock room, as well as, as fulfill pickup in store and ship to customer right out of the stores that are local to the customer that placed that order. So it, it essentially cut out the entire distribution center um, from their operation. Do you have, and you may not, but do you have any sense of how that transformation has been able to, from a turnaround standpoint, Greg places an order right. for some bills, gear, Right. Go Bills. Right. Western Carolina, go Catamounts. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I purchased something. Do you have a sense that it, they've been able to turn around, you know, a day quicker, two days right. quicker? Right. I, don't, I don't know if you have any sense of that. But. Yeah, it's, it's an immediate turnaround because you've, you've eliminated that lag time at the distribution center. So whether it be one day or two day or three days, um, however long it took to, to break that product down and then ship it out to the store, um, it's on the shelf faster. Um, so they're able to look at their flow and look at their their purchasing and, and make sure that they've got the appropriate levels of stock within each of the stores to satisfy those orders. It doesn't mean that you still might order something and it's not there and they've got to ship it. But the likelihood now is, is that through the real-time visibility within NetSuite and the tools that we've given them as well, is that uh, you may order that, that, that Western Carolina shirt uh, from the store that you're at, but it may be, in, well, it's probably not going to be a stock out of Kansas City. But, <laughs> probably not but, a stock. Yeah, let's, say, let's say you wanted a Kansas City Chief jersey or whatnot. You know, at least they, they know real time what's at the store, and the store-level personnel can actually interact with an app and package that up and ship it to you on, on, on a same-day basis. So much quicker real-time visibility, and you've, you've eliminated a, a, whatever that lag was between the point of leaving the vendor, hitting the distribution center, going through breakdown, and getting to the store. Now it's just going direct from the vendor to the store. And then from the customer standpoint, do they have the visibility to also look to say, hey, there's three of these in stock. Let me just drive to the store and pick yeah, it up. Right now, the, the application, that particular application, they're utilizing the handhelds that the employees of the stores have. Okay. Um, but online, so but online they can do okay. that from a desktop standpoint. And we do have a number of our customers, actually, that the applications that we've developed from them are consumer-facing. So they can allow their consumers to actually access a DSI app to look at the inventory that they've got within their facilities. So, okay. So for this particular one, you know, it's mostly through the desktop, their, their .com e-commerce website. Sure, sure. Um, but the but at the store level, uh, you know. The, yeah, that's what I was asking, yeah, the, the yeah, .com yeah, one. Yeah, they've got everything. You know, we're just not there yet. And we right. talk about this Grand Omni Channel thing. And that's, right, right. I think that's a great example right. of being able to simplify things. I'm assuming they're reducing costs yeah, pretty exactly, significantly, exactly, yeah. which ultimately helps the end user as well. Mm-hmm. Not is the top of the company, but that's a pet peeve of mine. So yeah. I'll give you an example. At Home Depot, yeah. Lowe's, not the single them out, but a lot of times I'll look for things. It's like, Big yeah, we got, we, yeah, we, yeah <laughs> we got 15 of those in stock. And yeah. I went to the store and there's none of them in stock. Yeah. Drives me nuts. Yeah. But there was another national retailer who recently we needed a shirt for my, my son's school as a blank shirt for a certain color for uh, this field day or whatever it was but we went on the website got four of these in this size so kids small maybe not a traditional size for this type of store because it was more of an artsy craft store and we were able to buy it online have it to pick up in two hours and my wife went to pick it up they're like oh we don't carry that here i'm like what you let me buy it you know (laughs) it's not like it was a white shirt it was like fluorescent something i'm like oh man my wife so I'll give you a second chance from an e-commerce side, right. unless it's really bad. My wife, she'll cut she'll you out die. for two years, yeah. Yeah. right? And well, then she'll yeah. come back exactly. to you, unless it's Target. Apparently, yeah. they can't do anything wrong. <laughs> yeah. But it's ruined the customer. It's a bad experience. Yeah. She would have rather just had it out of stock because yeah. then she just check back next time she needs something. Right. Do you get the sense that we're even close to having that problem solved? You know, we're a lot better. 
than we used to be. Um, but I've had the same problem you've had too. That the, the thing I always consistently find is I go and look for it on the shelf and it's not there and it's like in the back stock room or it's at a hardware company. It's way the heck up in the rack and you can see it with all the other stuff. They just haven't let it down to the pick face yet, essentially from an inventorying standpoint. But I don't understand the companies where you go there and they just don't have it. They obviously have something fundamentally wrong within their systems. And some of these, you know, I'll tell you, there are still companies that maybe somebody in your kid's class grabbed four of those shirts for themselves and three other families. And it wasn't until midnight that night that a batch would run that would update what that inventory is on That's hand true. within that particular store. So you still have legacy systems that are managing the inventory from a perpetual standpoint at the, the location by store that don't update real time. So that is a problem. The other problem that you do have too is, let's say you're buying that and you're standing outside the, the store and you place an order for that. And then you walk in the store and go grab it. In the meantime, somebody else has bought it online or whatnot. And, and the, the store personnel goes walking over there and, you know, and, and there's a clash essentially that they went and grabbed it or whatnot for an online order and, and, and you get in there and it's not there. I don't know if you solved that 1% of the problem sort of situation where maybe one person or one particular item it gets grabbed because it just so happens that somebody else orders that online or whatnot while you're there and physically in the store grabbing it. But people are getting much better. But but there are companies out there that have figured out a way to do it much better. I mean, I, I look at, and this I think you know comes to the, uh, the, the overall buying experience, who's kind of doing it right sort of, of attitude. If you look at the way that Kohl's or Target or, or Walmart has turned their stores into a, a fulfillment center as well as uh, an inventory stocking center. You know, they've got the systems in place and they're doing a much better job. The, the three of those, I can tell you, I've never run into a problem where I've, I've gone and grabbed inventory. The other thing I see happening, this doesn't help you if you got to go grab a shirt that day, um, <laughs> but there seems to be, in my mind, a trend towards, particularly in retail, these pop-up stores, where, yeah. you know, I think there could be shopping malls of the future that basically are a catalog. The stores are a catalog. You go in there, you get your touch and feel, you can get your sizing done and all that stuff. But on your way home, a delivery truck drops it off on your front porch. You don't walk away with anything out of the store. And so they take care of that need for you to get that shirt pretty quickly, but you don't actually pick it up. The inventory is not under control. So they don't have to worry about carrying another bucket because it, the problem had always been, and I remember uh, years ago, I, had, I, had, I, was, I was chasing some business at Cabela's and Cabela's was the first company that had store catalog and online inventory all in the same inventory bucket within their distribution center. I think the companies that can minimize those number of inventory buckets that they're trying to address to minimize the conflict in the channel are going to be the ones that are successful. But, but do we ever get to that point where every time you walk in, that's going to be there? It should be there 99.9999% of the time, but there, there's going to be that, that, that one one thousandth of a percent that'll happen, I think. I'm going to ask you to put your Nostradamus hat on. How do you see supply chain management changing over the next five years? You know, I, I think overall, things are going to need to be get much more nimble and quicker. I think transportation is going to become a much heavier quotient of the overall supply chain. I think you're going to see inventory carrying costs and on-hand inventory within the distribution environment being reduced to levels such that we're going to be even leaner uh, than before. You know, I think that we're going to continue to see this 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 rise of urban warehousing. Um, the one thing that I, I think is a constant in all of this uh, is and I mentioned at the very beginning is that, you know, suppliers and consumers and where inventory was used to be three different buckets that could be scattered all over the place. And it's not true anymore. Suppliers, inventory, and consumers are converging into single points. So you're going to see suppliers being required to deliver to multiple more distribution points for a particular customer that they might be working with. And so they may be co-located in the cities uh, that they're at. Um, we're seeing that kind of beginning to happen in the supply chain in Wisconsin with the Foxconn technology, that, uh, a company that's coming to, to southern Wisconsin all the suppliers are beginning to build right around that manufacturing facility because they, they've got to be there at the point of consumption. And that's really true, I think, of the retail end of the world too. 
the, the inventory's got to be there at the point of consumption. Suppliers are probably going to start moving towards the point of consumption versus being detached and days away. And the consumers are going to expect that, that when they fire up their app and they look at that point of consumption, they're going to see the real-time inventory there. I think that's going to go for it. And I, and I think it, overall, you know, from an operational standpoint within the supply chain, you're going to see the technologies like the drones and the autonomous vehicles, uh, AR, VR, a further advancement of IoT. I mean, everything is becoming becoming more and more interconnected. We're seeing that every day. You know, a lot more electronic data interchange exchange uh, of technology from the internet uh, will be in place. And I think it's going to look very different five years from now. What is exactly is it going to look like? I, I think Nostradamus might know. I, 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 I Sometimes I think I've got no idea. But I do know that yeah, as a company, we're focusing on becoming more nimble, more quick, uh, more flexible. Because I think you have to have a system that anticipates what you don't know is coming. Sure. Um, versus versus plans for what you see out there on the horizon. I'm not going to get into my reasons why on the podcast, okay. but I'll tell you afterward. I'm not a huge fan of the drone. I don't think the drones are the way to go yeah, in the I, future. I don't see it either. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so maybe other people are getting in. That's why I went quiet recently because I haven't heard much about it recently yeah. either. So yeah. we're obviously here at, at Sweet Connect West. Yeah. Um, as I mentioned before, you had mentioned NetSuite a couple of times from integration standpoint. Yeah. What type of systems, and maybe it's all systems, but from DSI standpoint, do you guys work with a variety of different systems and platforms and things like that, or you concentrate on a, a core few? From a from a, like a NetSuite kind of systems, you mean, or, or, or partners within the NetSuite world, or if yeah. a client wants to come and hire you guys, right. it okay. doesn't matter what system yeah. they're yeah. using. No, it doesn't matter at all. Actually, we're ERP agnostic. Okay. Um, so so from a from a functional standpoint, uh, we can deploy pretty much against any uh, any uh, backend system that's out there. So I mean, we've got systems that are, are integrated to Bond still, you know, Infor. IFS, Microsoft, uh, all flavors of Microsoft, GP, Nav, and Dynamics, uh, 365, uh, uh, Oracle, EBS. Uh, we're now doing a lot of systems with Oracle Cloud. Um, NetSuite is probably our biggest volume of work right now. The, okay. the, the, the focus on supply chain in NetSuite is amazingly, and, and the pace is, is, is really fast. It's, it's electric. It's a pretty cool environment to work in. Um, SAP, we've got a number of SAP customers as well, too. And then with the cloud inventory product, too, we also have the capability to run standalone. So I'll give you a great example. One of our one of our biggest customers last year is a property restoration firm. Um, very busy right now with the hurricanes. And they actually came to us uh, to uh, to put in a system for them to track their field inventory. And, and one of the primary reasons they went with us is that they never know where a hurricane is going to hit. So they have sometimes only days to determine where they're going to put a distribution center in. And it needs to pop up within a couple of hours. And it's probably going to be shut down a couple months later. They're running on JD Edwards, you know, legacy old Oracle application, and, and you know they go to the IT staff and well that's going to be a project, you know, and it's going to take X amount of months. And DSI, we can have them up and running that afternoon awesome. potentially. Uh, so we have the capability to run standalone as well too, and that's a, that's a real advantage to a lot of our customers as well. Very cool. Anything I neglected to ask you about supply chain management today that you think we didn't cover but is important for people I, listening today to know? I think the only other thing that really sticks out to me that we don't see a lot of people doing right now is mining their data. Uh, and business analytics and insights and really utilizing all this data that you've been capturing for a long, long time to your advantage is, is something a lot of people still really aren't, aren't focused on. There's a number of companies that do it very well. Walmart's been a, a, a superstar in, in trending uh, what goes on and where product ought to go based upon you know terabytes of data that they've got stored on consumer habits. But I think there's two things that go on there. One is you can do a much better job of predicting where your product needs to be and, and, uh, and, and where it's gone and what the consumer trends look like from that standpoint. On the converse side, part of, I think, the success of a lot of companies in supply chain right now is these personalized apps that they're able to develop. This Again, this freeware, you know, you don't pay for most of the apps that you're using on your phone. Uh, all that data that you've been capturing on those consumers all this time, why don't you use it to their advantage? I mean, I'm sure they'd be very happy to know that, that rather than you using it to your business advantage, you're using that data to actually... 
give them some advantage and, and, and expose that stuff to them and, and, and help them learn better, order faster, uh, uh, be much more personalized in their experience. So, so I think that a better use of business analytics and data mining business intelligence type tools is something that, especially on the low end, a lot of the smaller companies don't concentrate on. But when you see the kind of growth they were talking about in the keynote here, that's going to become very important for a lot of those companies going forward. And honestly, I think probably more than 50% of the customers that we go in and talk to on a daily basis haven't even thought about that. So it's a it's supply chain analytics is going to be a huge part of the growth. So that's interesting because you're seeing a, a pretty big move from traditional e-com pure plays mm-hmm. moving to brick and mortar stores, whether right. they're pop-up shops right. or just single locations. But generally, right. they're, they've been successful because they use that data and say, right. you know, right. majority of our customers are buying from the Soho neighborhood in New York or this particular area right. in Kansas City. Right. They know where their customer base is right. it's concentrated. And they can open those pop-ups or those stores in those locations. So they're using that data from a shipping standpoint or whatever, that logistical data and saying, hey, this is where we're going to have the most success doing it. Right. So I was in New York a couple of weeks ago and I went down to the Amazon four star okay. store. Yep. Yep. I have a belief that for a couple of years now that they are, Amazon is moving into larger brick and mortar Four-star stores, probably right. not as quite as big as as Walmart, but right. larger footprint stores. Right. I think Kohl's is for like there's a, a rumor term, that there's a rumor Amazon's looking side. at Target. So that, that kind of confirms your yeah. <laughs> suspicions if it's true. <laughs> I don't know if I see that one, but yeah. Kohl's, I, I can't figure out that Kohl's Amazon partnership a couple of years ago, yeah. but. Yeah. Interesting to me that they have these tables for trending in New York City right. and things like that. So they're using some of that data, that right. purchase data, right. shipping data to say, hey, this is what we have here. Right. Now, ironically, maybe it's coincidentally, you could take that entire store, stick it into a Kohl's. You right. still have plenty of room for things like apparel, right. which Amazon right. has 30 some private label lines in right. home goods. Right. I think this is just the tip of the, the iceberg for Amazon, but using that data from a shipping stand, all that logistical data, and putting it to good yeah. use. Now, they obviously have tools yeah. and the resources to do that. Right, but right. I think That's you're, huge. I think you're yeah. seeing the, the e-com pure plays. So yeah. it's funny because we, we actually, I was just talking to one of our uh, one of our guys, and they all went to the Amazon Go store here last night just oh, to yeah? check it out. You know, and, and it's a, I mean, they are fundamentally changing where their their point of purchase. You know, it is interesting to see. I think Amazon's up to 600 brick and mortar stores right now, and it's uh, you're back to that kind of touch and feel consumer experience sort of a, of a need, and that data is is priceless. That data is priceless for setting stuff like that up. So I didn't get to the store yesterday. I opted for Alcatraz instead. Okay. My wife went to the Amazon Go in Chicago okay. about two weeks ago, okay. and she now she was like, "Eh, underwhelmed." <laughs> but I, I think that's somewhat personality uh, driven a little bit uh, as well. But it's interesting. Yeah. It was not a convenient checkout process at okay. the Amazon Four Star, okay. though. Yeah. Uh, conveniently, Bob, you got a couple minutes. I know yeah. we're gonna get kicked out of the studio pretty oh, okay. soon, no but problem. you got a couple minutes uh, for oh, some game sure. show questions. Sure. Oh, awesome. no, no. <laughs> Test my intelligence. <laughs> If you said no, you'd be a jerk. No one says no. Opinion to the car. You're literally in a corner right now. (laughs) Is a hot dog a sandwich? Is it? Yes. Why? Because it's got a bun. I don't know. (laughs) I'm from Wisconsin. Is a so is a a bratwurst a sandwich then? I would say so. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. All right. My four year old who listens to this is going to yell at you. (laughs) Just just preparing you. He's got to have two pieces of bread. Is that the? uh, You can say hi, uh, Connor. uh, I got it. (laughs) We'll fight it out. On a scale of one to 10, 10 being the craziest, how crazy do supply and change management conference after parties get? Conference after parties. It depends on who's throwing them. Uh, I, I would say you'd have to average it out probably a five. Okay. What's the best one? Is 10 been the best? Yeah, 10, would, 10 would be really good. Zero, zero would be kind of boring. Like the, the next sweet party, I'll tell you, I'll be hopping tonight. That's okay. who throws a good party. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Given a guilty pleasure, is TV show, music, unusual hobbies, 
I don't have a whole lot of guilty pleasures now. I think I'm a, a reality show addict, though, from a cable standpoint. Gold Rush. Okay. Uh, Whale Wars is my favorite for a long time. Uh, deadliest Catch. You know, but then right now I'm I'm totally immersed in Better Call Saul. I am too. I love that show. I, I didn't realize. I love Bob Odenkirk. I didn't realize the season finale was, was last two week. weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, they're, they're, too short, they're too short, and it's gonna be like another year and a half. I keep I looking for it. I'm like, how come it didn't yeah, tape this week? Yeah. I was like, oh, season finale. One meal for the rest of your life. What are you choosing? One meal for the rest of my life. If, uh, I'd have to get off my Weight Watchers program. Uh, pizza. Okay. Dish pizza. What do you like on your pizza? Uh, sausage, pepperoni, cheese. Sausage. Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty easy. Very cool. Do you do karaoke? I try not to. Okay. <laughs> it's well, been a long time. If you did karaoke, would you have a like a go-to karaoke song? Yeah, it'd be something from Journey. Maybe Don't Stop Believing. Okay, that's a yeah, good one. Yeah, yeah. How long have you been in Wisconsin? Are you from Wisconsin? I, I born and raised in Wisconsin. I left for two years out of college. I was a test engineer at a nuclear power plant in Illinois and then came back. So okay. I've been there for uh, 56 of my 58 years. Okay. Normally, I'll ask you to name as many insects or zoo animals in 15 seconds as you can. I'm going to change this on the fly. I'm going to give you 15 seconds, Bob. Okay. <laughs> name as many types of cheeses as you can in 15 seconds. Go. Uh, cheddar, Greer, Swiss, Parmesan, blue cheese, uh, Colby, Colby Jack, mozzarella, uh, uh, Parmesan. <laughs> Time's up. Terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> it was close. <laughs> You got nine cheeses. Is that, nine right? is that good? Is that good? <laughs> it's almost one every second. That's not bad. I, I don't know how fast your brain can process something and then yeah, exactly. spit, spit it out. Just run so out too quick. That's not bad at all. Uh, so, uh, Bob, any questions for me today? No, no, Greg. Greg, it was a pleasure. Enjoy it. Cool. Look, I look hope this. Re- connecting again sometime. Yeah, I hope this recording actually comes out. Otherwise, we'll be doing this remotely again. <laughs> we'll have more scripted answers. <laughs> We'll have in the show description contact info for how to get okay. a hold of you if you want or yeah. and definitely okay. your company. What's the best way, just verbally, what's the best way for someone who wants to find out about DSI? Yeah, if they want to get a hold of me, probably the best way is I'm, I'm an email addict, so bob.carver, C-A-R-V as in Victor E-R, at dsiglobal.com. Okay. That's the best way. Yep. And obviously website, dsiglobal. Yeah, dsiglobal.com is the website. There you yep. go. Very cool. So Bob Carver, Vice President of Cloud Inventory Solutions at DSI. Uh, thanks for your time, Bob. Thanks for coming in studio Thanks for having me, Greg. Thanks, everyone, for listening today, including our listener of the week, Tony from Chicago. Hey, you're neck of the woods. There you go. If you want to be this Wednesday. There you go. Buy lunch, Tony. <laughs> Tony, this will probably air after you get back. So. <laughs> really you get no free lunch, Tony. <laughs> if you want to be the listener week, like everyone else, let me know you're listening. And if you're interested in telling either your e-commerce or marketing story, reach out to me. I'd love to hear from you as well. Until next time, have a great day, everyone, and be kind to one another.